All right, we are live on the second episode, season two of For the Love of Improv. And I am your host, Jesse Wicks. And I'm Katie Welsh. And we have Joe Van Hackey on today. And Katie will explain all about Joe. <laughs> yeah, we're super excited to have Joe today. Just a little uh, background, and I know he'll fill us in more when we uh, start talking to him. Uh, but Joe, for over 20 years, has studied improv at places like IO, Second City, um, and with folks like Jimmy Karane. I hope Rain. I'm saying that right. Yeah. Um, and Joe Bill, he has performed at Kansas City's Comedy City, formerly known as Comedy Sports, uh, Batteries Optional in Des Moines, and even started his own troupe in 2003 that continues to perform called Comedy Experiment. Love to hear more about that. Also in Des Moines. Um, he later moved on to coaching large group improv at Iowa High School Speech Association, also used improv in the classroom teaching English, and is now the chief of inspiration, I love that title, at Inspire Me Mr. V, um, and we'll give you that website um, some, at some point, and we'll definitely put in the show notes uh, for you to visit and check out, um, whose mission is to bring improv into business, education, and one-on-one -on -one coaching. Improv skills, according to Joe, help us be better communicators, I gotta agree, better collaborators, and stronger leaders. Improv is not just for actors anymore. Welcome to Joan, Joe Van Hackey. To the, to, for the love of improv, did I, did I say your name? Please tell me I said your name right. You, you might've said Joan instead of Joe, but I'm, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's, that's how the scene is running. So we're good with that. He plays both male and female. So it's, it's yeah. appropriate. The, the male and the female version are here today. Um, <laughs> that's as much reading as we do on For the Love the Improv, the rest of it will be improvised. Um, the first question we ask all of our guests is how did you, how, why did you first go to your very first improv class, show, whatever it was, and why did you keep coming back? Sure. So I'll try to give you the, as much of a Reader's Digest version as I can. Growing up, I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian and took a couple classes here in the Des Moines area, ended up moving to Kansas City and put stand-up on a back burner until... My best friend for life and his cousin both encouraged me to try out for comedy sports. And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so we went to a show that following weekend. And if you're not familiar with comedy sports, it's a short form show with two teams of quote unquote athletes doing short form games in a sports competitive format. I'm watching this and I'm just amazed and blown away. I said, yes, that's what I want to do. That might've been a Friday or Saturday. They had auditions that, that Sunday. I went and auditioned and was invited to become part of this new cast expand, that they were expanding. On my first day in workshops, I realized that some of the people that I had auditioned with had been taking workshops already. The director must've seen something in me that he felt like we could work with this guy. And I've been in love with it ever since. I've had so much fun. The collaboration, the friendships, the relationships, the, the insights into life um, through studying and performing improv just keep me coming back day after day, week after week. Right. Yeah. There's something about just walking into a place, not knowing what to expect and walking back out and knowing you have a community and that like you found your thing like that. Like I, I can't express like my first time coming out of an improv, you know, show where I was like, 
that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> I'll be doing this for a while. Yeah, um, exactly. I love, yeah. I love that feeling when you end a show and you know, man, that show was fantastic and you can't remember anything about it, but the audience does. Yeah. And yes. I, I also love being able to travel and jam with people. I just met you five minutes ago. Let's hop up on stage and make some magic. Right. And playing with different people of different skills and abilities and different approaches and techniques just expands my world. And I love learning new things. Yeah. So with the way that you're explaining that, uh, it sounds like you're quite an extrovert then. Would you say that? Yeah, I, I tend to lean towards the extrovert side. I believe that we both have extroverts and introverts inside of us. We just tend to lean more towards one way or the other. So I believe that I tend to be more extrovert and I think maybe I'd go 70, 30, maybe. Cause there, yeah. there are days that it's like, I need a break from everybody. Even my family. I'm like, can I just have five, 10 minutes? I'm going to lock the door, listen to some music. Just leave me alone for that time. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's, um, and I, I know, cause I, I did peruse through some of your blogs. You have quite a few blogs on your website. So I did see that there was one about extrovert and introverts and, I think that that is, um, I also think I'm some sort of hybrid because I definitely get peopled out and I just need like me time and just, you know, um, but I also need a break from my, the inside of my brain. <laughs> and that's what, I mean, to me, improv, um, that's what helps so much for me is just to get out of my head. Um, and also, but I think what's so fascinating because, you know, um, I perform at Reno Improv um, yay. <laughs> um, and, um, I see people come through there that are, you would think the shyest people you've ever met before. And you see them grow and develop as they're doing improv. And they just come, keep coming back because I think for, I can't speak because I am definitely more of an introvert extrovert as well than an introvert. So I can't speak for all introverts that are, um, and I know some introverts like my husband would be like, um, no, I am never, you know, going to set foot on a stage, but I think, um, that's, what's so beautiful. One of the many beautiful things about improv is that I think that discovery of self and coming out of your shell and having that support around you to just play and, and be, and, um, and that's, yeah, that's totally one of the things I love about, about improv too. Uh, me as well. And in my workshops, I really emphasize the idea of like, this is a safe space that we're going to give space and time for the introverts to be able to express themselves while also setting boundaries around the extroverts. So the introverts don't feel the extroverts are just steamrolling everything because that's right. not how improv works. It's all collaboration. It's all listening. And I believe sometimes the introverts just feel, you know, I, I need this space. I need my private space. I need myself. Mm -hmm. And I can't step out of that. Well, here in an improv workshop, I'm going to give you that space. And hopefully in the corporate world, that idea for leaders recognizes I need to create this safe space. So all my people feel comfortable taking risks mm -hmm. and voicing their opinions so they can, they feel like they're being seen and heard. Yeah, I love that. And I think, um, yeah, and this is maybe a good time to, since you brought it up, to talk a little bit about your workshops and what, what you offer. Um, and I definitely, before we get into that, I mean, I can definitely see the benefit. I mean, I have seen it just with my own personal experience, the benefit of improv, not, you know, only for, for introverts, but also for extroverts, because I think, 
a ham like myself, you know, I mean, can use some reminders and some skills in terms of listening and being more mindful and even empathetic. I know that's something that, that has a word that has popped up in, in a lot of your descriptions on your website. And so I, I really appreciate kind of those both sides. And so I, I, I don't know, I kind of want to, cause I know one of the, one of the main phrases I came, I came across on your website was to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. And, you know, so that's kind of a buzz phrase. So like, let's unpack that a little bit. Like what, what does that mean? And I'm sure it means different things for different people, but what do you think? Sure. So here's my, my approach to that is on our daily basis, we're going to experience stuff that makes us uncomfortable, whether it's taking a risk, uh, voicing an opinion that might be different from the majority of your people, whether it's a team or your classmates or whatever. Those are just two examples right off the top of my head that those are those times that we feel uncomfortable. In an improv workshop, I encourage people, well, let's step into that comfortable, uncomfortable space. So you recognize, what is my body telling me? What, is, what am I feeling inside? What is, how is my brain interpreting my feelings and how am I responding to that? By doing that in a low stakes environment, such as a, a improv workshop, we start to build strategies and skills and rework our brain muscles so that when we feel uncomfortable, we know we're safe. Oh, I felt this way before. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know the strategy I used before. I'm going to try to use that again. Mm-hmm. And You're hopefully pathways in your brain to understand that feeling instead of be afraid of it. Exactly. Cat Coppock calls it uh, the mental gym, the workout for the gym. Our brain is a muscle. So I think in th- all throughout our schooling, we get programmed to think in one way, and this is the way and we get stuck with that. Improv gives us the muscles and the techniques and the workout to break out of our set patterns so we can feel comfortable and confident when we're in a situation that normally we might feel uncomfortable or have that that discomfort and that want to shrink and, and back away from the difficult conversation or something that this is completely new to me, I don't wanna do it. Or you're asking me to speak in front of the whole department, not, not gonna happen. All these things through improv workshops and, and repetition, we build those muscles that it's like, yes, I understand that I'm uncomfortable speaking in front of the whole department and I'm going to go through it anyway. Right. It's kind of, I mean, it, I mean, it's the same thing in, in, in like any muscle, like not just your brain, but any muscle, like it's, it's the small things every day that you do. And then one day you're going to need that strength. You know, you, you're, you're building up, you're building up. And then there's, there's one day that you're actually going to need it. So it's not like the little actions that you take all the time. It's, it's the habits that you build up over time to have your body naturally respond a certain way. Um, so you don't end up having that fear when you are thrust into a situation where you need to be a leader or, um, yeah, totally 100%. And we don't let that fear stop us from doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. As improvisers, yeah. we talk about following, following the fear. Well, that's what it is, is recognizing I'm afraid or I'm feeling fear at the moment. I'm not going to let that stop me. In fact, I'm going to yes and the fear, if you will. Yeah. Well, and that's so, it's such a powerful feeling. And I, I think that um, 
like going along with a, what Jess mentioned is, is that, or, you know, creating that habit and, and how that, I mean, it's not easy. It doesn't, it's not like you're going to take one workshop or do one show or take one class. And then suddenly, I mean, that's when I first started improv, you know, the way that they have it set up at Reno improv is that you take, you know, the most basic class, obviously, and it's fun and it's short games and yay, you know, kind of like improv kindergarten and it's so fun. And then you get into long, you know, long improv forms and it's like, oh God, like all these rules and now everything I do is, you know, and then it's, you know, learning how to break out of those rules. And, but even, you know, through all of that, I mean, I'm still, honing in on that. And every time I overcome my fear on stage or whatever, or get tried, you know, because it's, for me, it was, it was a struggle. And I think it is for a lot of improvisers in the beginning, or even throughout to get out of your head, to make good choices. And I think that's so true for life too, right? It's like that little voice going of fear of like, why are you doing that? What are you doing? You're going to risk yourself. You're going to get yourself hurt. You're going to, if you do that, you know? Um, yes, 100%. A lot of my readings, a lot of uh, coaches that I follow and I'm associated with talk about the imposter, the perfectionist, the people pleaser, the worrier, all these uh, mental gremlins, if you will, that are in our I think I'm brain. all of those, by the way. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> don't we all? And I think of it this way of, I'm going to yes and my inner imposter or inner imposter. I'm going to yes and my inner improviser. Because if we have all those fears, we have to have the opposite. And the opposite is our improviser. And if you think about it in a show, we don't have time to deal with that. We don't have time to deal with the perfectionist going, don't say that line, say this line. No, that line's no good. Say this line. We don't have time for that. We need to listen and be in the moment and say yes and. So yes anding our our inner improviser really takes care of the imposter and the perfectionist and the worrier. Yeah. So okay. what does that look like on like a practical level? Like in one of your, like how, like what specifically are you, are you teaching to, to yes and your inner improviser or? One, one of the things I start very basic um, going into a workshop in a corporation People are like, this is my set pattern. Again, we talk about patterns and our mindset, right? I don't, that looks strange. That looks scary to me. So I start off yeah. very low level. Or we're bringing in some weird improv nerd that I have to go listen to for two hours. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I really uh, talk about um, improv 101 or, or kindergarten improv. I'm doing, I start off like almost at the preschool level. And I do that for a number of reasons. First of all, to make everybody feel comfortable Make sure that everybody feels, hey, you are welcome to participate at whatever level you feel comfortable with. And if that means sitting on the side, that's okay. I still need you to, to observe because you're going to see things that we are, that are in the moment are not going to be able to observe. And then I just slowly keep pushing and pushing of adding more and more of those, um, if you want to call them basic improv games or warm up activities keep adding complexity, complexity and complexity and complexity. And when things work out, we get to doing small little scenes, even if it's like just two line scenes to help understand, even in the moment when it's just two people, we can build a safe space where everybody can be seen and heard and feel they're being listened to. 
Yeah, that's why I get so frustrated when um, warmups are skipped because it's, I think it's really important for me as someone who is super self-conscious <laughs> to uh, have a little win. So like if I can just do zip, zap, zop, and then like, I okay, I'm, I'm, I'm zip, zapping and zopping and I've got it. And then they're adding in some kind of like something into it. Okay, now we're going to do, what was it? And in, in Reno Improv, you'd have to like dodge it or something like that. There oh, are, yeah. they added all a whole, the different rules of zip, zap, zop that they add, you mean? They added something? a button. So like, I yes. would get really good at it and then they would throw something at me. And then it was like, I, I already had those wins set up of, of like, oh, I killed zip, zap, zop. Like I got this. <laughs> Uh, I got this whole improv thing down. And then it that, that gives me a base instead of just like whatever I had brought with me in the day um, mm-hmm. that is self-defeating. I'm getting rid of that because I'm, I'm starting off the practice with a win, you know, and then that helps get me out of that mindset of like, oh, I can do the next tiny little thing they added. And before you know it, you're doing like five modifications and you're, you know, all over the place, you know, and it's working because it's, you got to start small. You can't jump into, okay, we're going to throw you on stage and you're going to do a 30 minute scene. Go. <laughs> like, Just yeah, yes, 100%. I, I, I agree with that. And I love using zip zap zop. And I often start with it after we get some name names down and, and build on that. And I know a lot of improvisers and I'll be honest myself. Sometimes I get tired of zip zap zop. And when I recognize that I recommit to it. But let's talk about just for a moment what's happening underneath the level of zip zap zap where we're throwing it around. It's asking us to listen. It's asking us to make eye contact. We have to stay present and in the moment. We have to support each other. Four four things that are happening almost subconsciously right there when we're playing zip zap zap. And I know I can pull out, especially with my high schoolers, but sometimes even with adults, you're not present because this is what happened. Zip, zap, zap, zip, zap, zap, zip, zap, zap, zip. Um, uh, zap. Okay, we're going to stop right there because, and I don't necessarily call that person out, but that person was not present, not in the moment, not supportive of the other people involved in the workshop. Yeah. And I guess we should, because we, we do like to speak to those that are total beginners. Um, we should probably explain a little bit about <laughs> for maybe some people out there listening that might not know what zip zap zap is. It's a super simple game. Um, and it's basically, you just, it's, you say it in the order. And if you start, you say zip and then, but you're pointing or looking, depending on how you play the game, you're mm-hmm. looking at the next person and pointing at them and they know then to say zap, and then they'll do the same to another person in the circle usually. And that person says zap, and then we go back to zip, zap, zap, and that's all it is. But it is about being present because you have to listen for and look and be aware of it, if it's going to come and pa- be passed to you. And so if you're not present, like you said, Joe, um, you know, that, that falls apart. And that is a very basic principle in improv. Improv is a team sport. It's not a solo sport. It's not golf. <laughs> it's also something that's so super simple that people are like, Oh, I don't want to do this. You know, like, especially if you're, you're a seasoned improviser, but what we're saying is like, you have to start with these small, these small wins. It's like, it's like basically a fundamental of improv and not specifically zip, zap, zap, but like, like these simple warm up games. Um, I think what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is it, it basically 
helps you to switch your brain into a mode of listening and um, supporting your scene partner. Is that? Yeah, 100%. These, these warm-up activities really are so foundational in that they, they reprogram our brain to slow down, to listen, and to respond instead of just me sitting here thinking, what am I going to say next? What am I going to say next? Oh, no, I can't, I can't think about that. I have to listen and wait till it's my turn to say zip or zap or zop. Yeah. To bring it back to our example. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe this is a good point to introduce a game, Joe. Um, so we can uh, dig into some more concrete examples of uh, some of the things you do with the folks that take your workshops with that. Yeah. Are you ready Yeah, perfect, that? Katie. So cool. I'm going to do one. I think it might even be challenging for us as um, somewhat skilled improvisers. Okay. But this is a basic one that I use all the time. And sometimes I'll even use it with, with comedy experiment as our troupe just to, to refresh ourselves of like, this is how, how we play. So we're going, this is called yes and plan. And we're going to plan a party. And I'm seeing some nods already, which tells me you're, you're familiar with this. So uh, I'm going to have Jess start and then I'll go and then Katie go, or yeah, Katie goes and then we'll just keep going in that order. I'm actually not familiar with it. Yeah, oh, I'm not wonderful. completely either. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to throw plan a party and we're going to do two rounds of this. And the first round, each successful person, successive person starts their sentence off with yes, but. Oh. Okay. So Jess, I'm going to... How do I say Jess, then Katie, then me? Sure. Okay, Jess, Katie, then me. So uh, Jess, give us a theme for a party. Say, uh, we're gonna throw a fill in the blank party. We're gonna throw a GI Joe party. <laughs> and so Katie, it's your turn now and you start off with yes, but. Yes, but I don't have any GI Joes. Yes, but we don't want Barbies at our party. Yes, but what if the girls don't like GF, G.I. Joe? Yes, but they will have to. <laughs> yes, but then they won't show up. Yes, but maybe that's the point. Maybe the boys don't want them there. Yes, but then who will wear all the pretty dresses? <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop us there because you can already see. Uh, so I want you to hold on to, to some observations or what was going through our brain there because this time we're going to say yes and. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jess, if you want to start us off again and you can use the same idea for the party or just uh, give us a different theme. Okay. Uh, we are going to throw a blues and babies party. Yes. And I will get the blue cake. Yes. And I will hire a blues band to play. Did I say that? Oops. <laughs> yes. And I will make the blues band all hot chocolate. Yes, and I will sprinkle the hot chocolate with marshmallows. Yes, and we'll invite everybody we know. 
Yes. And I'll have a bunch of babies. Yes. And I will have a bunch of baby toys. Yes. And we'll make sure there's plenty of diapers there. Yes, because I'll need them too. <laughs> yes. And I also have bathroom problems. Yes. And we will bring in uh, portable portable toilet, Kaibo bathroom, porta potties, whatever they're calling anymore for everybody that has bathroom issues. <laughs> okay. I'm going to stop us there. Snaps. <laughs> Snaps yeah, for too, everyone. Too deep into the bathroom issues. Let's yeah, stop there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Goes goes down there. You got a yes and it. <laughs> yep. That's part of part of the game, right? Mm. However, after that, when we were yes budding, what did you feel, and what did you notice? I mean, I think I felt. Um, <laughs> even though I always joke with Jess that I'm the yes but person, um, <laughs> yes. I'm always like, "Well, did you think about this?" Um, but it it did feel um, like I was rejecting ideas and that didn't feel good um it, it, I felt disconnected I feel like from the story because it was just mm. it changed faster it was just you you couldn't there was no way to go with an idea I guess exactly yeah I I felt myself becoming disengaged knowing that my idea was going to be um shot down or negated right. and my brain started shutting down because it was going, what's, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now let's con contrast that with the yes and portion. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I said hot chocolate and Katie acknowledged that I said hot chocolate and she used it in hers. So I kind of felt like we were in it more in it together, I guess, because we were working on the same idea together. Yeah. It also felt like it had somewhere to go and that it builds, it built up. It was, there was, a, there's, mm -hmm. um, it allowed for buildup or, or heightening, I guess. <clears throat> One of my students recently said it this way that I love is yes, but is uh, comp competitive. Mm. Whereas yes. And is collaborative. Yeah. And I was like, thank you. I'm going to steal that <laughs> going to and steal use it that. for my own. Yeah. It's easy to talk about yes and. And when I introduce myself and talk about uh, applying improv into life and the workforce, I get this all, all, oftentimes of, oh, yes and you do improv. We just say yes and keep going. But that's not what it is. It's slowing down to listen and accept ideas and build on them. So we come to a, uh, an agreed upon idea overall vision. We're not saying we're gonna institute and act on every single idea in that process. We're saying we're gonna listen. And when you start applying that to yourself inside or outside of the improv world into everything that you do, whether it's your relationships with your, your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your teams that you're a leader of, when you create a yes and environment, everybody feels empowered. Everybody feels encouraged to express their ideas and have their ideas listened to. Mm -hmm. That's the power. When I run this exercise, we can talk about what yes and means all the time, but until you actually participate in this exercise and feel how combative yes but or no becomes, 
Right. That's where that's where the power of improv and this art form really starts to take place. Yeah. Yeah. I think it I think it's interesting. You know, you say this rule and everybody's like, oh, yes, and and you start from the beginning. But nobody actually nobody's ever like said, hey, just to illustrate why we're saying yes, and let's do the opposite and let you feel that like that was the first time I felt the yes here. And it definitely brought up some like, oh, I experienced this like at work a lot. (laughs) Sure. Or with with Katie. Or with Katie quite a bit. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sorry. No, but I, I guess my question is if you, if you feel like you are in a yes, but environment, what, what can you, you do personally to, to turn it around into a yes and environment? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, you could bring in an improviser, do some applied improv workshops. <laughs> uh, shameless plug. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, bring it up to your leaders, or if you're a leader in the team, just take some time to sit back and reflect and see what kind of culture or environment is being created? If we're a yes, but culture, how is that affecting people? Do I have a lot of turnover? I don't know. I, that's a great question, Jess. Uh, if without getting involved in it, I really think taking time to study, go out, take some improv classes of your own. Well, and I'm wondering too, I mean, obviously we're talking very generally, so it, it's probably hard to, to answer in a specific way, but um, just thinking of some scenarios in my life, just with some relationships and stuff where I have a yes, but person in my life. Um, and I did experience recently, uh, where, where we went out to dinner with this person and everybody else I would say was in a yes. And mood, you know, it was like, Everybody was just in a good mood and a yes and mood. We had dinner at this place and everything that went could go wrong went wrong, like everything. And the person I'm talking about who's a yes but person is very, you know, reactive to that sort mm-hmm. of thing and was really having a hard time with dealing with the fact that everything was going wrong. <laughs> Um, and this person kind of feels like, you know, anyways, I won't go to get into too much of that. (laughs) Um, but, but I saw that because there was sort of this energy, this positive energy around that person, I heard this person say in the middle of all of this, you know, I could be really upset, but because I'm surrounded with friends and family that I love. And this is something this person never says out loud ever. And I was flabbergasted and I truly felt it was because everybody's energy, he or she could not (laughs) deny, could not overcome. And, and I felt like, you know, so I feel too, that could be just like kind of addressing what you were saying is like, if you have it's hard though. I think the numbers might, might, you know, uh, mm-hmm. be important, but if you have one or two people, you know, perhaps that yes. And energy can overcome that. I don't know. Well, and I guess what that made me think of, <laughs> we're just, we're just going off on your topic here. Uh, I'll <laughs> let you talk in a minute. Um, what, what that made me think of is, okay, well, if you, you know, kind of that thing, okay. If every, if everybody in your life, 
it, you know, if one person in your life is a dick, they're probably just a dick. But if there's a lot of people that repeatedly show up in your life that, that are dicks, like, like it's probably you. Like, I mean, maybe, maybe there's something that I'm doing professionally that I'm not aware of and I need to be more positive and yes. And with, with some of these people that, that end up being that way. I work, I work, I do a lot of client work. So I'm always working with different people. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily like one relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, maybe there's somewhere in my professional life I need to be more yes. Anding. Yeah. And I mean, it definitely was a moment for me too, in that, in that circumstance where, you know, cause I'm not always, <laughs> I'm not always, you know, in a yes and mood either, but I did feel, I feel, I felt like that helped the situation somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know that I, that we could be yes. And 100% of all the time. However, we can at least start paying attention to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yes, anding and helping others around us maybe buy into it and creating an environment that, man, I want to hang out with Joe or Jess or Katie more often because they are just fun to be with. And, and whatever I say, we're going to like at least explore and create that environment. And you can do that with your clients. You can do that, like I said, with your uh, spouses, parents, children, mm-hmm. uh, your friends, your friends, friends, parents, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's just I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. starting to initiate yes and. Mm-hmm. And it also touches over into mindfulness as well as social emotional learning. And even I believe we could use this in trauma-informed classrooms for, for teachers and students that if you start yes anding everything, and I'm going to walk it through very slowly. So I'm in a scene and my scene partner says something. I'm going to yes and that, but in that moment where I'm yesing and then finally listening, I'm going to have an emotional reaction. That stimulus comes in. I have the choice. We talk in improv a lot about, hey, make a different choice, make a new different choice. There's even a short form game called new choice where make a different choice Mm -hmm. in a real life institution or application. I get to choose how I'm going to respond. Maybe my son came to me and dad, I lost my phone on the roller coaster. My first instinct is to get upset and just blow steam off and and yell and shout. Yes, you lost your cell phone. And I'm going to choose to be empathetic and supportive because it was very brave of you to come talk to me Mm -hmm. and tell me that you lost your cell phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I do... I do like that idea, um, you know, that game, applying that game, um, different choice to, or new choice to life. Because I, I think too, we get, you know, going back to what you said, Joe, about, you know, we get programmed kind of in our institutions as we grow up and whatnot, um, messaging from our parents um, and school and whatnot that things are a certain way. And I think one of those things sometimes is this message of like, you know, you only have one choice and then that's it. Um, But even in the moment, even in the moment, if you have a bad reaction, I believe you can in that moment still make a new choice and go a different way and change. Yeah. And change that, 
because I think I know I've gotten myself stuck in that where it's like, I've reacted some way and then I don't like the way I reacted. And then I go, Oh my God, I just burned that bridge with that person forever and always. And, (laughs) and it's not true. It's not true. And, and more and more I do exercise that sort of freedom to go, Oh, Hey, you know what? I did. That sounded really weird. (laughs) I did not mean that way (laughs) like or whatever, you know? Well, and I think with a lot of people, there's, there's ego playing into that, right? Like a lot of people want to make that new choice, but they don't. So here's where we're, we're building this habit with this game. If you don't know what new choice is, it's basically, you're just doing a scene, a regular scene. And then randomly somebody will like ring a bell or, or yell new choice. And you have to basically re-say the line that you just said. So you have to make a new choice of how you're going to respond um, at any given time. And then the scene just keeps going and you never know when you're going to have to make a new choice. Um, but I think in, in life you have your ego kind of in the way and we're, we're trained to, to kind of save face a lot, but when you're, you're doing improv and you're regularly playing this new choice game, it, it does kind of change the, the habits that you have. So then when you're in the real world, maybe you're willing to say, Oh no, 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 that's not right. I'm going to make a new choice because you're no longer embarrassed or trying to save face from anything. You can just kind of swing into the next choice. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Playing with that idea. uh, And I want to tangent just quickly back to something Katie said, it's like you were giving us an example and you said something wrong and then you felt bad about it. Mm -hmm. Think about like how often the brain starts telling our, our, that story to us over and over and over again. And then you have to take time to what, where's the truth? in right. there and is my brain telling me true stories which more than often than not it's not no. <laughs> so right. slowing down and finding that i call it the yes golden yes and moment where we can choose mm-hmm. makes life so much easier and effortless yeah. if you will yeah i totally agree um i think this is a good time to um to transition into our history segment um So I'm going to go right into that. Um, I wanted to bring back, I think this is one of the first history segments I did back in season one, talking about Viola Spolin, um, known pretty much as the founder of (laughs) improvisation. What's that? The godmother of... (laughs) Yes, the godmother. Founding mother. Yeah, founding mother of improv. Yeah. So um, I wanted to come back to her because we were talking to Joe today and he himself is a coach. And I, <laughs> I don't know, after reading this, rereading this excerpt about Viola Spolin from, from my favorite book, Improv Nation, um, you know, it, it, I kind of was like, yeah, she was kind of the first life coach. Why not give her that title too? <laughs> so, um, so I want to, I want to just remind people of, um, Viola Spolin and who she was and what she is about. And then I'm going to read a quick expert excerpt from this book. Um, and then we'll, we'll have a little discussion on it. So, um, so first of all, um, just to give a little background, Viola Spolin, she was a daughter of Russian immigrants immigrants. And um, at 18 years old, she became interested in social work and enrolled at what was called Hull House, which was a community center that offered programs to Chicago's poor immigrant populations, which is going to be really important because later on, um, she basically, the way in which she helped these children who oftentimes came from a variety of different 
cultural backgrounds and language backgrounds. So they really couldn't connect. And it's scary to be in another country where you don't know uh, the language and the culture is completely different. So she challenged herself in um, uh, playing games with them, um, having them act out scenes um, and getting them into that sort of play brain um, and getting them out of their shell, getting them out of their heads, out of their fear, as we've talked about um, in this episode. Um, so, so I like, and so what I'm about to share with you guys is this excerpt, excerpt from Improv Nation that kind of talks about her teaching style, because I was really kind of inspired by what they said about her teaching style. And then again, it reminded me of this idea of coaching rather being a teacher, but being more of a coach. So um, let's see, it says here, first of all, um, the games were really what the whole class was. And this is a quote from a former student of hers. Although Viola didn't call them theater games at the time, she called them improvisations. So there, she even coined the, the term. Um, divesting herself, this is not a quote, divesting herself of parental power and authority, Viola said it was the games, not the teacher that instructed. That was important. Playing the role of teacher could introduce what she called approval slash disapproval syndrome and inhibit spontaneity. Viola was careful then not to become a rule maker, but rather a diagnostician, which I think is interesting prescribing a specific game to each actor to address specific interpersonal block. Was a player struggling to relate physically with the others? Have them play contact in which the individual touches someone every time he says a line. Was a player thinking too much? Play mirror, mirror mirroring someone else and you stop thinking about yourself. Quote, we were guinea pigs for the games, Paul Sand said. She was creating them on us with us. So I love that because um, it touches on so much that we've already talked about with improv in terms of its therapeutic values. Um, but I also love that she was, you know, so mindful enough to sort of take herself out as that authoritarian role um, and also kind of, um, uh, what do I want to say? Um, she catered the games to what the children were having struggles with. So I'm wondering, Joe, if that, if that comes up for you or what your thoughts are about, because you are also obviously a coach and um, teacher or whatever you want to call it <laughs> of improv. So I'll, I'll take all those labels. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's, I don't know that she, I can't speak for her, but it seems to me from what I've read, trying to build community and get these immigrant children playing together and feeling comfortable. I've just in the past year, couple of years, really started analyzing what's happening in our brain and in our emotions underneath zip zaps up, just to bring back that example, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I found that once we start analyzing those and reflecting, taking time to reflect on how we feel in that moment, like I said, gives us that opportunity to feel comfortable in the uncomfortable and gain those skills, but also really slow down and pay attention in this incredibly fast paced world that we live in today. Yeah. So 
hundred percent, I see where she was like really taking off the mantle of I'm the teacher coach and coming down as, as an equal in my workshops and in my one-on-one coaching. That's what I do is I, I take off that mantle. Of there's, there's not a hierarchy. We're in this together. And part of what we're going to do together is establish these approaches, if you will. I don't want to say rules, not, not a fan of that word, but right. approaches of here's how we're going to work together. And we're going to start off with understanding and buying into yes and then keep adding on to it. Mm-hmm. So in my coaching, I, I integrate as much improv as my client is willing to do. And oftentimes that leads to, I really like the work you're doing. Can you come do some series of workshops in my business? Mm-hmm. Yes. And we'll work on that. And then often what I do is a needs analysis of what issue are you working on? Do you see as a, as a, something that needs addressed in your work environment? And mm-hmm. then as Viola did, I will choose very specific activities that we do with the idea of if a workshop suddenly takes a left turn, I have a back pocket full of other activities that may supersede my lesson plans because this is what I feel is important for this organization right right here in the moment. Can you, I don't know if you can, but um, because I know you probably need to respect the privacy of your clients and whatnot, but I don't know if you can give a specific example of either an individual you worked with or even a group where, um, you know, that sort of, I don't know what to call it, breakthrough (laughs) moment happened, or is there an example you can give us of a certain game or activity you did or moment in the workshop where it was like, people really were like, Light bulb so I can think off. of uh, at least one right offhand. This manager approached me and he felt his office space was dividing into silos. And so there, there were about 40, about 40 employees and one department was really holding off another department, which was holding off another department. And there were a lot of uh, negative feelings about the office space starting to develop and not good communication between the silos. Um, they often had like billing needed to go to this person, to that person, then then to another department before it got here. And oftentimes maybe that comes in five minutes before closing here, I'm going to drop this on you and I'm going to leave. So this manager hired me to bring in and through a series of four workshops. So roughly 10 to 15 people, each workshop, I got to see uh, all 40 individuals really did a lot of these activities Mm-hmm. And even like the second week I was there, the group was so excited to get into the workshop because the people that had been in week one were doing all this goofy stuff, having fun together. And those silos went away. Six months later, I, I reached out just to like, see how things are going. And my manager was like, the things are great. It's such a much more positive environment to come work for. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to bringing you back. And this was in the middle of pandemic. So mm-hmm. I need to reach out to him again. So would you say, Uh, sorry, uh, would you say, was there any particular activity or was it sort of just this whole experience that they were able to bond and see each other instead of sort of us and them, they, they saw more as a a collaborative group. It was the, it was the collaboration breaking down that us versus them Mm -hmm. feeling and getting to know each other in a low stakes environment. Mm -hmm. And from what I heard, zip, zap, zap was quite a favorite one seems to be a theme today. 
Yeah. <laughs> such to the point that people would walk around the office and just pass Billy Joe Jim Bob as he's typing zip. And then he would pass it on or send it oh, in a awesome. message or something. Um, that's so great. That's yeah. amazing. I love that. Yeah. Well, and I find it's a return to simplicity. I think yeah. a lot of times in, especially in business, you want, you, you want so much to pr prove how much of a professional you are that you, you get, you get out of, of that, just like, okay, the simplistic way is the easiest way. And, and then you get into your head about, okay, I need to show them that I'm worth something. And then there's long emails and, and then you, <laughs> and then people are overwhelmed and you get back and you just do zip zips up. And that's all you have to do. It's that's all you have to do. A comfort level there. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's this, it's a huge, I just took a clowning workshop. Um, and yeah. Um, and we're going to have the guy who did the workshop on in a, in a few weeks here, but um, from Chan Diamani, but um, he, so, and, you know, and I've taken a few workshops, not a whole lot, but I really always enjoy improv workshops or comedy. I have done stand up as well. So I've, I've done some classes on that as well. And I just always find that laughter in itself, I mean, talking about simplicity is a bonding experience just to be silly and laugh gets us the act of laughter. We just are out of our head. We're, as soon as you laugh, really genuinely laugh, no fake laughing people, um, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's just, and it's, if you can share that with other people, it's to me, it's like, boom, you're connected, <laughs> you know? I, I remember right around oh, probably March of 2020, uh, suddenly I wasn't around a whole lot of people laughing anymore. Oh, um, and I remember one rough. time Katie and I, uh, I went over to her house and I stood on the other side of her porch because we weren't allowed to be together in the same room. Something happened around that time that, mm, yeah, what was that? I don't know. And so I stood on one side of her porch and she stood on the other side of her porch <laughs> And we just like talked and laughed from like using our projection voices, our stage voices, if you will. We just like laughed and talked to each other. And I remember, you know, after like three weeks of being cooped up and not talking to anybody, it was just this <sighs> relief. Like when I went home, I just felt like all this like stress was off my shoulders just from sitting down and having a, an in-person laugh with somebody. So yeah. the power of laughter is huge. For real, we definitely need uh, more productive play and humor in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of authors out there that have written books about the importance of play. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, since we brought up the pandemic, I mean, I know that you wrote a few blogs. I didn't read every single one, but I, I did see that you had some um, you had written some blogs about, you know, improv in the pandemic. I mean, can you talk a little bit about if there were, did you run workshops? I mean, it sounded like you did because you said this last one was, uh, the example you gave was during that time, but what, what else can you talk, tell us or talk to us about how the pandemic, um, influenced how you did improv or did you use improv to help you yourself personally, or, you know, what, how did that affect what you do. I, I think the pandemic gave me time to slow down and, and really think about a lot of the ideas that we expressed here today of like what's happening underneath mm. that top layer of this improv activity. I also made a lot of connections that really have been beneficial and helpful and, and get to sit down and bounce theories and ideas out 
this way through through Zoom, which is, yeah, I remember when the pandemic first hit and people were like, well, we're meeting on Zoom and there are people like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> and now and now it's just, this is one of the many ways, one of the tools that we use. Mm-hmm. I led a, led a number of workshops, had a couple other corporate workshops, um, started doing some coaching then and also participating in some workshops. And like I said, I got to meet a lot of people involved in the Applied Improvisation Network, as well as improvisers from all over the world. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that in a way, obviously it was in, it, it inhibited a lot of um, improvisers and people who do things related to improv or theater or any performing arts, but um, it's interesting what you said about, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> you have a, you have something. To, go for it. Um, that's, don't do that on the improv stage. Um, we, what you were saying is, uh, what you were saying was like, you get to play with people that you never would have been able to play with mm-hmm. before when you're, when you're doing that. Like I got to take a class, you know, a second city, <laughs> I don't live anywhere near Chicago, but they all of a sudden started doing classes online. And I was like, yep, I'm taking a second city course. <laughs> like, and it was, you know, it was good and it was fun. And I never would have had a chance to say, oh yeah, I took a class at second city. It was all on zoom, but uh, but I did. And so I had that experience, um, because, of, you know, something bad happened. So like every time there's an experience that, um, is bad, you know, if you yes, and it enough, um, something good will come out of it. Hopefully. We can, we can find the good in there right. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, d- did you want to finish your thoughts since I so rudely cut you off? No, no, I was basically going to, I was going to say something very similar, like, you know, zoom, while the pandemic was isolating at the same time, Zoom kind of allow you, allowed you to reach out to, you know, even international or like you just said, um, Jess, like, you know, you took a class on Zoom at Second City that you would never maybe have considered doing. Um, so I think that's, you know, tr- talk about finding the positive. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. And, and, and also just to add real quick, because I did do some improv um, with my Reno improv players, we did do improv on zoom. And so that was interesting because I mean, there's always something new to li- learn about improv and zoom made it so that, you know, you can't, you know, eye contact is not really a thing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, or whatever, you know, communication is limited. Uh, you know, there's uh, whatever, but there's other things that you can do in zoom that you couldn't do, uh, you know, um, where you can manipulate your screen or you can, you know, put it at a different angle or, um, we did, we did things like turn off all the lights and, and had that be, uh, you know, the environment is affected. Um, we did puppets, <laughs> we did all sorts of silly things. Yeah, totally. It was like, everybody got a stuffed animal and then we had, it was, weird. And I don't know if it was very entertaining, but it was, you know, it was just like, so I think that that is, um, a lesson in improv in itself is that constantly, why not? Yes. And why not? Why can't you do this? Oh, we have this thing that's limiting the way that we used to do it. Okay. Well, let's whoops, hit our microphone <laughs> and see what that does to the scene. Well, well I, I think, you know, to that point, like, the, the importance of play is sometimes it's, 
it's okay not to have an odd, like if it looks like crap on zoom, it doesn't matter if everyone's just having fun. And especially for me, like I'm not a person that loves to perform like improv on stage. I like, I like to have a class that I'm in or, or just a, a jam group that I can just go and like, let some steam off for the night. Like that's my thing. And so like, it's totally fine, you know, every now and then just to remember, okay, we're just all adults playing pretend like we say on our website, you know, we're just having fun here. And it's really important to get back to play. I think that's the importance of like that idea of yes. Andy is like, it allowed us to pivot and change. And I know some improvisers that were like, zoom, no, clap their hands, but wash their hands. I'm done. I don't know if they're doing anything anymore because sometimes I know improvisers feel I've been out of it for six months out of it for 12 months. however long I don't, that window of time that I used to block off and reserve has now been filled up with other things in my life. And I get that. Yeah. But I enjoyed meeting new people online. I enjoyed let's play. Let's, let's figure out something new. Let's try, let's try a new choice. Does that work? Uh, Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. But like both of you said, well, at least we're having a moment that we're giving ourselves permission to play and to have fun and to set all the weight of everything else aside just for a moment. Yeah. Yep. Uh, real quick, I want to get to our next segment so we have time to chat a little bit after it. Um, so our co- concept of the day is our next segment, and I think it's I think it's pretty uh, in line with what we're talking about here. We might uh, not to be redundant, but um, I got this from a hoopla a hoopla.impro.com, their improv glossary. It says ignoring um, is the concept of the day. Uh, ignoring offers. I'm sorry. What'd you say? I wasn't, I wasn't paying. (laughs) I was ignoring you. Oh, oh, hmm. Mm. uh, ignoring is the concept of the day. Oh, uh, ignoring offers made by other players, either as a result of not listening to them, not thinking their offers are good enough or subconscious bias to support some players, but not others. The opposite of accepting and yes. And, um, so basically, you know, you're entering a scene and you have an idea of how that scene is going to go, um, but your scene partner ruins it by bringing in new information. Um, and then and then you ignore them. Like you're, it's literally you ignore what they say to kind of push your scene forward. And then something has to, something doesn't, now doesn't make sense in that scene. Um, that's the concept of the day. Um, how do you experience this in your workshops? Uh, sometimes it's with the not being present. Mm. Uh, other times it's denials. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's really hardest when we get to scene work is going one line at a time. And instead of planning out and thinking, I'm going to say this line, it's going to be the funniest line. Mm. Yeah, I got a laugh, but it, that joke totally ended and crushed the scene. So I really emphasize of like, let's just slow down, listen to what our scene partner is saying. Oftentimes there's another activity with yes and of my scene partner will say a line. I have to say the last two, three words of the sentence that they just said, then physically say yes and, and build on that. It's very contrived and can be challenging to do because it feels so awkward. However, I'm pushing that idea of like, slow down, listen. We, I mean, I'm sorry. 
I was just going to say, and sometimes listening is not necessarily listening with our ears, but listening to body language, listening to tone, listening with our whole body. So that's another component that I really emphasize in my workshops. You know, we had that discussion the other day, uh, Katie and I did about how different the podcast is this year, because it's all on Zoom this year. Uh, whereas last year we were in an actual physical studio and we were talking about how it's it's a little bit harder to do it this way. Uh, well, the sound's better <laughs> because Zoom does a better sound, sound quality than I did. But on the other hand, I can't, I'm not... Uh, physically reacting to people. It's more just like a 2D picture and their face. And I can't like kind of off screen, like give signals. Okay. We need to move on to the next segment or something like that, because it's all um, it's all being recorded and everybody can see, you know, every body language thing that I do. Mm -hmm. So it feels different. Um, And body language is such a huge thing. And sometimes that ignoring can be to body language, not just necessarily what's being said. I've, I know I've experienced that in, in scenes where I'm acting like, you know, super sad. And the other p- person comes in just super happy and just totally ignores that. I, I had a negative emotion and then just like, okay, I guess I'm going to yes. And you, and just pretend I wasn't totally sad when the scene started. Um, but yeah, it's the body language is super, it's not just ignoring words. It's also yeah. body language. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I hear that Jess and I, I definitely, um, that exercise, Joe, that you mentioned of saying what your scene partner just said, and then saying yes. And I mean, I, the improv, uh, troupe that I'm in currently, I mean, and we've been together for a while. Um, I mean, we still do that sometimes because you just constantly sometimes need that reminder of like, you know, um, listening. I know it seems simple, but I think that is sometimes what is a little bit contradictory about improv. And I think it's also the, one of the best things about improv is that you, obviously you are, it's about creating things in the moment. So you have to have ideas. (laughs) You have to, you have to make choices, but at the same time, you have to, you have to also yield to your partner. So it's finding that balance of input versus output and, and sort of, um, finding a way to support each other. And I, it's not easy to do. I mean, I don't know. Um, I think it's, it's, and you know, everybody has a different, but I, I think this concept of ignoring is important to think about because, um, in all aspects. And I'm also wondering too, like, how does this apply to the real world? I mean, I'm thinking of something like, you know, in the business world, like networking, for example. And when you're at a networking event, um, it's about exchanging ideas, but it's also about listening to others, other people's ideas and finding a connection that you might have with that person. So I'm wondering if you have anything, or I don't know if you've done that's come up for you in the workshops, but like in terms of communication, let's just say that what what is it that you can do in the so-called real world (laughs) i haven't had it come up in workshops yet it's it's so important even like a small little idea that's somewhat ignored can shut down communication going back to our our game that we played earlier we saw how yes but just really slowed us down and i was mentioning that i was just feeling like i got to shut down 
Think about an organization that if, hey, I have an idea, but it gets ignored mm -hmm. or yes, butted, mm -hmm. maybe I don't have any more ideas. Right. Or maybe I do, but I'm not feeling safe enough to share them because the first one I threw out there got ignored that I'm not going to bother anymore. Right. Maybe that person has this idea is a million dollar idea. We will never know because it was ignored. Right. So you're really setting the tone. And I think back when I was in the classroom and I saw teachers, fellow teachers do this occasionally that one student says one thing and it's the first time the student has been brave or bold enough to say, to try to answer a question, no, you're wrong. Okay. Right. And that student never speaks up in that class ever again, which is unfortunate. Right. Yeah. And I, I definitely do. I mean, just to kind of add to that too, like I'm thinking about all those ideas, you know, um, big and small that don't get out because, you know, I, an idea could just start as, you know, a ball of clay, you know, metaphorically. And, and if it's, if it's not heard, obviously it, it, it will just remain a ball of clay and maybe dry up and, you know, whatever, turn to dust. But, but then the idea of like, if it is listened to, if it is heard, then somebody can say, Ooh, yes. And what about what if we did this? Oh yeah. And then we could do this and that building, just like you do in a scene, right. With your scene partner, mm -hmm. it's about building off of this small idea or in improv, it's, it, it could start with a gesture. It could start, like you said, Jess, it could start with an emotion. It could start with one word. It could start with anything. And then you start to build it into something that could potentially be an incredible thing, you know? So I, I really like that idea. Don't you? <laughs> I certainly do. I'm yes, and me, people. <laughs> we just got a few a few minutes left. I, I did want to ask you about one other thing because uh, I promised it on the website. Um, in your one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, somewhere I read that you do some stuff like relationship-wise. Um, could you explain a little bit how improv plays into personal relationships? Once you build that muscle, that yes and muscle and that listening component, I think everything else really falls into place. We slow down to take time to listen to uh, our scene partners. Let's slow down and treat everybody as our scene partner, whether it's your spouse or a child or a father. It also helps us with empathy because I can slow down and instead of being sympathetic or pushing you away, maybe you need somebody to just sit there with you. Right. And because I've done all this improv experience and I see the emotions that are coming out of you and in that moment, I can set aside everything that I need to be and just be there and be empathetic for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So, so say like in your relationship, you have different communication styles, maybe just are so, you asking for a friend, Jess, or <laughs> asking for a friend? Uh, yeah, like say, say, uh, you know, he's from Mars and, and I'm from Yeah, Venus, I mean, so. very common problem, right? Right. Right. And we're communicating differently. You know, I, I'm, I'm guessing 
you know, the yes and is, is that the solution to all this, you know, communication where we're trying to analyze everything and really it's like zip, zip, zip. It's really just that simple. You just need to slow down, listen, and then yes and. Yeah. I don't want to say it's the solution for everything, but I believe <laughs> it's a solution for a lot of issues and problems. I had a student tell me just the other day that in her family, she always is always quick to default to angry, angry, angry. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's the way a lot of her family is. And so they she would come home from classes or from work and not necessarily get into arguments or fights, but it would just be battle, 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 battle. Mm -hmm. She said to me that she started implementing yes and, and just listening. And yeah, that person said something that I could get mad about and I'm gonna choose something else. Mm -hmm. And she says for her personally, it's made her life a lot lighter. And I think the family dynamics are starting to change some. Yeah, is, is, so it's is what I read in between her words. It sounds like it's influencing kind of like what I was talking about with my example. It's influencing her family to be maybe more positive too, because maybe they feel heard or not. Because I do, I mean, I think that's a lot of people have, you know, anger is, you know, more of a prideful response. Um, yeah. And so it's a safer response for a lot of people to express their fear or their sadness. So right. just, you know, as Dr. Katie, well, just kidding. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I'm totally, <laughs> I think and, that's go, go ahead. I was going to say, and really anger is one of the ways that our brain is defending ourselves, which is what it's programmed to do. Right. Because it's going to react instantly. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to slow down and say, okay, brain, I hear you. Yeah going to react differently. So, yeah. And I think that, I think you can say also, you know, you can call it, um, that protection, but I think that's the ego too, where it's like, you know, which in my opinion is also that the ego is the thing that's always trying to protect you. And so it's like, I, I love that. And I had a, my, actually my stand up comedy teacher would always say that, you know, because people battle with that stage fright, you know, mm -hmm, for stand up because mm -hmm. it's just you. So she would always tell us, you know, just have a little conversation with your ego and say, thank you so much for your concern and trying to protect me, but I got this. I'm going to be okay. <laughs> you know, so. I'm sure if it could happen. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe, where can people uh, find you? This is where you can shamelessly plug whatever you want. <laughs> but where can people find you on the internet? Or is there anything else you would like us to share with the audience? Um, you can find me at my website, which is inspirememrv.com. That's inspirememrv.com. I'm also available on Facebook at inspirememrv or Joe Van Hackey. Um, and LinkedIn is then where I'm also fairly active. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe Van Hackey. I hope I said your name finally right at the end. <laughs> Yay, we got it after so many tries. Yay! <laughs> Yay. Um, no, I've really, I've really enjoyed the discussion and uh, thanks so much for taking the time out to uh, join us on For the and, Love of Improv. And thank you for allowing me to be a guest. It's been an honor and a pleasure and I had a lot of fun today. Yay! Thanks All so right. much. Bye.